Hello and welcome to the Next Level Blockbuster Podcast. My name is Jeff. And I'm Aaron. And we are continuing our review of the Back to the Future trilogy. And we are on Back to the Future Part 2. So, initial thoughts right off the bat. I enjoyed it. It did definitely get a little darker. And we've talked about this before. It was very complex. Yeah, uh, right off the bat, my feelings towards this movie, I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it as much as the first movie. Uh, I thought elements of it were a little too complex, as we said, and they, they made certain elements of it a little too involved to the point where if you thought about it, some of the stuff doesn't necessarily make a lot of thought. The paradoxes... I like the way they explained a lot of things, like you had alternate timelines, you had the paradoxes. I like that they showed scenes from the first movie in different perspectives to show the interconnectivity of the movies. But it also, I guess, took some of the joy out of the movie a little bit by interweaving so much of it mm-hmm. with the first movie. Uh, I remember as a kid, I I remember the second movie better than the first or third movie. Really? Yeah. I See, for me, I remember the third movie better. That's interesting. I mean, I, I like the third movie, but I, I don't know if they just played the second movie more when I was a kid, because I remember it was on television a lot. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it seems like it was on TV more than the first one, especially... They didn't show the third one a lot when we were kids on TV. But the second one definitely got a lot of TV time. It might be because they had a lot of product placement in it, too. I was going to mention that the product placement went through the went, went to the stratosphere in this one. Yeah, and we'll touch on that because there's some things I want to point out, but uh, this was kind of a divisive movie with film goers and I think now a lot of people kind of come around to it and appreciate it a little more especially looking at it as a whole I mean they released this as the Back to the Future trilogy a lot uh, you know I think it's kind of interesting because I we, we talked about this earlier Michael J. Fox didn't even know they were making a sequel Till he watched the VHS copy of the first film, and it said be, it's it had the to be continued at the end, and then he was like, "Huh," and he got a hold of his agent. He's like, "Um, what's the deal?" And he's like, it's, "Oh yeah." Did the agent even know? I, I'm assuming they. I don't know if he got a hold of his agent or someone in the studio, but I guess he wasn't aware, aware of the fact that they were doing a uh, two, let alone two and three. Right. Which these movies were filmed back to back. I want to point out that Elijah Wood, this was his first uh, on screen appearance. He would later go on to be Frodo and Lord of the Rings. And he would do a lot of things. He would do a lot of things. That's his most iconic role, though. But yeah, he was in Sin City and stuff. He's been in Flipper. You know, Flipper's pretty iconic. Yes, with uh, Paul Hogan. Yes. But, uh, 
you had mentioned this earlier, and there's there's other aspects of this movie I want to talk about, but right off the bat, you had asked me with the first review, are we going to talk about the Biff Trump thing? And I was like, and we're no. We're not going to get political. No, 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 but I, I told you I want to save it for the second one because, uh, look, Donald Trump is a divisive figure. We are only talking in the context of this movie, but allegedly, and I think it goes beyond allegedly, the character of yeah, the future Biff Tannen in this movie was based on Donald Trump. Donald Trump. So, I, I mean, I guess that it was gives more you of a, a satirical. Approach yeah, I get. I, I so guess it, it goes over the edge. I guess it gives you an idea how the filmmakers view Donald Trump as well. That doesn't necessarily mean but then it's again, accurate. satire, you know. Yeah, and again, it's inspired by him, not directly. No, it's know, it's not a. It's not directly pulling. Yeah, but yeah, the, and the thing with satire is you you go extreme. But that is something interesting that has come out. Uh, one of the big aspects of this movie, and I, I kind of want to know what you take from this, was the sports almanac. That's the big you know, connect, yeah, connecting point of this movie that connects the future aspect with the 1950s aspect and kind of goes into the third movie the fallout of this so I like the the idea of the sports almanac being a, a tool I guess that changes the future because it shows it simple yeah it shows how something somewhatly innocent and it's just a book you know it's just a book with statistics well actually it showed who won like certain games yeah no but I'm just saying from a, a viewpoint of <clears throat> just a book from with statistics Put in the wrong hands in the past can cause so much harm. Right. You know, and it's it's just one of those things that you, if you think about, it's kind of an interesting viewpoint of the movie. Uh, the ripple effect it has. Yeah. Then they talk, you know, science fiction's famous for the butterfly effect aspect and something as simple as a little almanac, which is innocent. You know, you pick up an almanac now and they... It was one of the first movies to really do alternate timelines. And, you know, you got movies like Star Trek now that really dive into, like, the Calvin timeline. They they really dove into it in, like, the 90s, I want to say. Yeah, they got more and more into it. Like, you know, alternate timeline stuff. That was a Voyager thing a lot. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I'm just back to the We like talking about Star Trek. We do. (laughs) Uh... We had some cash replacements in this movie. Uh, Crispin Glover, who played George McFly in the first movie, was replaced by Jeffrey Wiseman, which is part of the reason the future George McFly is, like, upside down, and he has, like, glasses on and stuff. They put prosthetics on him and look more like Crispin Glover. Uh... They did use the archive footage for the 1950s scenes with Chris, Crispin Glover. Yeah. That became, like, a thing that the Actors Guild ended up having to revisit because of this movie. Uh, he was replaced, though, because he made some 
remarks I, I, I don't exactly remember what but the, the filmmakers didn't necessarily like the remarks so he was asked to come back with reduced pay <laughs> and he was like I'll come back but you gotta like match my pay with Tom Wilson and Leah Thompson because I'm which it was before. an equivalent role and they did not want to give him that so when he said he wanted equivalent pay they told him he would they offered him less than their first offer and Jesus. less screen time wow so he did not return I don't blame him no what was I his mean, remarks that well, we I, I get think into it. I don't remember exactly but they were I do think they were slightly derogatory and I know he had some erratic behavior in the past so I don't necessarily think he was their favorite person but that being said if you really have that much trouble working with an actor just replace him yes it's not that difficult and it's not like he was too iconic no but I actually like Crispin Glover's performer he might be a bit eccentric uh, from what I can tell, he seems to be, but like... I mean, I am. But yeah, most actors are kind of eccentric. I'm not an actor. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying that I don't think that's an uncommon... Right, right, right. You have to be somewhat eccentric. Um, Eccentricity is also subjective. Yes. So we also had another cast replacement in this. And if you remember in the first uh, podcast for Back to the Future, I told you this was going to come up when you mentioned the chemistry of Michael J. Fox and Claudia Wells. Well, Claudia Wells didn't come back for the sequels. I know. She was replaced by Elizabeth Shue. Who was big at the time. Yeah, she was off of Karate Kid, Adventures of Babysitting. So Wasn't she Labyrinth? She, that was Jennifer Connelly. My mistake. I believe, if I remember correctly. But yeah, Elizabeth Shue was a bigger actress, but Claudia Wells, I guess, she had personal reasons involving her family, which she couldn't return. So it wasn't like a, a, a deal with like Crispin Glover or whatever. It was a, a, a decision she made. So the, the role ended up being recast. So if you watch the beginning of Back to the Future Part 2 where it recaps the end of the first movie, it all had to be reshot. Okay. So if you actually watch them like side by side, they're not exact. Because it's a different actress in that movie. Uh, we talked about the product placement a little bit. Oh dear lord, it was... This movie's filled with product placement. The first one had some too. Uh, I think the one of the specific ones was Pepsi. With their new Pepsi Free at the time. Okay, I want to get into this a little bit, because this is something that... Uh, the product placement was fun in this one, though. It it served it well, too, because the product placement played, over in, the top. played into the movie, too, because you had Cafe 80s. And that was the whole ideology, was the brand, like... Yeah. It, it was a brand-themed kind of uh, establishment. So... I, I do want to touch on this because Pepsi, I don't know if you remember, it was like five, ten years ago. They announced that they were going to release like reproductions of the Pepsi bottle from Back yes. to the Future Part 2. They were, they sold out. In I tried to get one of those. I was on there. 
they sold out within seconds. I did not get one. I was not happy because I was on the computer. But, okay, fair enough. It's a limited edition thing. I was teed off, but fair enough. But a lot of people were teed off. I wasn't the only one. So oh, yeah, it was a bit of controversy. Pepsi tried to rectify that by doing another batch, which is then is shitty for the people who got the first batch. Yeah, because they were limited. They were a limited amount of quality, so Pepsi to rectify it said, we'll release even more. So that kind of devalues there. But whatever, it's still a very limited quantity. Did you end up getting one? So, again, I tried to get it. Within seconds, yet again, they sold out. It sounds like when I was trying to get the Series X. So, yeah, I mean, they didn't appease any of the people that didn't get it because they still sold out pretty much immediately. They just ended up angering the people who still didn't get it, the people who got it from the get-go because then theirs weren't as limited. And it was something they should have initially had a higher production volume of because they knew it was going to be popular. Even if it wasn't limited edition, it would have sold out. Well, you could do a limited edition, but limited edition is subjective, so you could say it's limited to 100,000 pieces. I don't remember how much it was limited. There weren't that many. But it wasn't that many. It's still limited at 100,000. Not to say that they should do that, but they should have gauged interest, you know, maybe went on their... Facebook page, did a poll, tried to gauge some interest. Be like, okay, we'll do a run of this much. Anyway, needless to say, the whole situation was not handled well. I'm not necessarily blaming Pepsi, but it ties into this, and I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> I thought it was a fun little story to go along with Back to the Future Part 2. And, again, we're talking about I guess, synergy between brands. The Nike shoes. Oh, yes. The, the self-lacing. Self yes. <laughs> now, they did do some reproductions of that Nike. And if I remember correctly, they donated some of the money to Parkinson's research. Yes, they did. So that, that was handled much better than the Pepsi situation. Yes. Uh... This isn't. I, this has some product placement when I talk about. So this is the last part of it. The hoverboards, Mattel. Now, not all the hoverboards were Mattel, but the prominent one was. But what did you think of the hoverboards in general? They were cool as shit. Wasn't it crazy that so many people thought they were real? Really? Yes. I mean, for a while, people were like, "Where do we get? One? Where do we get one?" Yeah, and. It didn't help that sometimes they would joke about it and be like, oh, yeah, they're real. They're coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah. But they've... We they've, still don't even have that technology. They have done some reproductions of those as well. Uh, this movie came out in one of the biggest summers of all time. 1989. And just to name a few of the movies the uh, it competed with, Ghostbusters 2, which we've done a podcast on. Batman with Michael Keaton, which we've also done a podcast Yeah, this was just like a notoriously like huge summer. One of the biggest ones. Yeah, I'd say time. so. Uh, and that's just a few of the movies that came out. It still did very well in the 
box office. But I I guess a lot of people were anger, angered at the end of the movie because it ended on a cliffhanger, but they didn't really market this movie as, like, the second part of a, a trilogy. Really? They just basically marketed it as, this is a sequel. So then people kind of felt hoodwinked at the end. But I guess, I think it was Robert Zemeckis, or it might have been Bob Gale. They were upset because they wanted marketed as, like, part two and three. Because they figured people would be angry if they went to the theater and kind of got the rug pulled out from under. And it was on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And this was kind of unheard of at the first one was. The first one was, I don't remember. It was more of a setup. Yeah. It could have been an ambiguous ending. So, and again, you know, it could have just been like you said, kind of a humorous tag on, so. Right. The movie has some reoccurring gags we mentioned from our first podcast. You know, you missed one of the product placements. Which one? Pizza Hut. Oh, yeah, that was a big one, too, because they basically had to do that whole scene because they committed to doing a Pizza Hut product placement, which I want one of those little pizzas to become a giant pizza. That is cool as hell. Like, why don't we have that? That was really cool. That we're a pizza hydrator. Yeah, the hydrator thing. I remember, and that pizza looked so good. Yeah, it did. TV pizza and movie pizza always looks good. I know. I just love pizza anyways. Who doesn't? I know. So, this movie had a lot of reoccurring gags, too. Uh, what do you, how, did you like the reoccurring gags? Remind me. Like the manure. Yes. The make like a tree gang. I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the silly. Yeah, I liked the The little silly like things that they kept going. I feel like it worked decently in this movie uh, because it kind of showed you, you know, that famous saying history repeats itself. Yeah. And just little things and little character traits. It was kind of humorously shown to kind of keep happening uh and I guess a little bit of a spoiler on the Back to the Future Part 3 discussion I think by Part 3 it doesn't work as well maybe it's because it, it's been done a little more sort of like the Austin Powers and Gold Member thing yeah where it's, it works it's decently if you improve on the second one but by the third one it's like okay it's, it's, it's worn thin yeah so, the last thing I want to touch on was the foreshadowing of Back to the Future Part 3 in this movie. How Biff was watching a movie in his jacuzzi or hot tub, whatever you want to call it. And that movie happened to be A Fistful of Dollars. Which ah. we, we were, we're both fans of. We, oh, yes. We I both love, love Sergio Leon and Clint Eastwood, which plays into the third one. And the scene they show him watching was the scene with Clint Eastwood removing the, the metal piece that he used yeah, as a bulletproof vest, which ends up becoming a plot point in the third one. So I like that they had that little thing. In that there. was a good foreshadowing. Because if you watch and those movies yeah. in the theaters, you wouldn't remember that. Oh, no. But it shows that they thought out some of the stuff. It's one of those little Easter eggs that yeah. they have. You know, Especially when you Because, like, 
VHS copies weren't like that big at the time, so it it just shows the the care they put into the the filmmaking and the thought they put into the whole trilogy. So, just to recap my thoughts on this movie, and then you can share yours. I enjoyed this movie. I think it's a, a great sequel. I don't think it's a masterpiece just because I think it was one of those cases where they they were trying to top the first movie. And it didn't quite work. And usually if you try to top the first movie, it, it, you can't. Fair. Except for but in I think, certain cases. Yeah, in certain cases. Terminator 2. There are sequels. Wrath of Khan. Yes. But again, those are also movies where their first installments aren't masterpieces. They have flaws. They're yeah. good, but they, they're flawed. When you're dealing with a movie that's like the first entry is like a masterpiece, you're kind of doomed to go downhill a little bit. Yeah. But, but I still think it's a very good sequel. Oh, and very I, much so. It's a very good companion piece to the first one. And you definitely need to see the third one, though, if you do decide to watch the second one. Oh, yeah, you might as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of have to, because there's no payoff in this movie. Yeah, it really did end on a cliffhanger. So, what are your thoughts on the movie? I enjoyed it, not as much as the first, and it also had a different feel to it. Yeah. But it's still... It, 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 it's fun to watch. You have to see the first one to watch this one. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the cliffhanger ending kind of pissed people off. It didn't piss me off, because obviously all the movies were released by the time I got to see them. Same here. Oh, oh. you know what? We got to cover this a little bit. Back to the Future Time Machine DeLorean design. They changed it slightly. They added the, the hoverport. Yeah, and the Mr. Fusion. That was cool. I liked that. Like I liked the hover. Like, how do you improve on the the DeLorean from the first movie? And they made you make it fly. So, Chef's kiss on that. Yeah, but they show that in the first one. They did show that in the first one, but you don't really get to like experience it in its grand uh, specter until this one. So, I just wanted your thoughts on that one. Yeah, they. I mean, the puppy was still nuclear. I love that line. You telling me this puppy is nuclear? Shh. <laughs> that was great. So, I don't know why I love that line. There's a lot of good lines in this movie. In all the movies, actually. Even the, the third one has some great ones. The second one, I don't think any of them top the first one, but the whole trilogy is... First and third, I feel, are the best. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into that with third one we're going to do in a minute so yeah on that note we are going to be doing uh, a review of part three uh hopefully it'll drop the same time as the second one uh and we already are going to have the first part posted so if by some chance you stumbled onto this one and want to hear our thoughts on the first one feel free to look for that episode uh, yeah and on that note thank you for listening Take care. As always, I'm Aaron. I'm Jeff. Deuces.